All right, grab your Bibles. Go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Timothy. Book of 1 Timothy. If you brought your children into the worship center so they could see the dedications, you're free to bring them down to uh, kids' ministry right now if you want. You could leave them in here today, too. Uh, usually we're pretty strict about not allowing any distractions into the worship center. But today, we know we have several families here, and uh, I'm also preaching on being a good father and parenting. So it's appropriate to have a few youngins in here, cooing and gagging. And so it's all right. It's your choice. Uh, we have many guests here also. But open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. We're going through the qualifications of an elder, pastor, overseer. In addition, we're learning what God wants to make every man into. What kind of father, what kind of husband, what kind of leader does he want to make you into? That's what we're learning And let me just be the first to confess that when I had children, knowing that I was going into ministry, I really expected the Lord to give me some pretty sinless children. I thought it would be very good for my career if I had sinless children. Then people would assume I'm a sinless parent, I'm, you know, and and therefore I can be a pastor, but the Lord did not give me sinless children. Uh, In fact, my children are, you know, run of the mill, came with sin built in from the beginning. Uh, When my oldest daughter, Ellie, was in preschool, uh, Laura and my wife went in to help at school, and there was some class time where they were all sitting down. The teacher shared something about the desert, and Ellie raised her hand up and said, I've ridden on a camel before. And the teacher said, really, have you? And Ellie went, "Uh uh-huh. And then she looked over at Lauren and forgot that she was in the room. She looked back and said, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Great. Well, at least you can, you know, tell the truth when we're in the room. (laughs) Our middle child, Cassie, typical middle child, has a very strong will. uh, And we left her with a babysitter one day when she was really young. And she did not like that we left her. So she sat in her high chair and, and glared at the babysitter. Like, stared her down. And the babysitter tried to, like, help uh, Cassie be okay by giving her a popsicle. And Cassie literally sit sat in that high chair holding that popsicle until it melted all over her hand. It was like a stare down. Make your move, babysitter. Our son Jared, the youngest, is also the most energetic. And uh, he had a birthday this uh, last month, but we just celebrated it last weekend. So just what you thought, you saw everything as a parent. We were singing to him and he had, you know, he was going to blow out his candles and, and happy birthday to you. And he said, I'm going to blow out the candles in a new way. And he blew the candles out with his nose. So for all of our guests, we're like, enjoy your snot cake. Oh. Hey, my kids are not perfect. I'm not a perfect parent, uh, but I know one. My Heavenly Father is perfect, and I ask Him for help every day. And if you're a parent, you're going to realize real fast that you're not perfect, your kids aren't perfect, you need a lot of help. I'm here to tell you there's hope. There's hope that you can become the father God wanted you to become. It doesn't matter if your family is the way you think it should be. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. From this day forth, God can start to make you the father that He wants you to become. All right. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, let's read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, where it says this. He, specifically elder, pastor, overseer, but also all men, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? One qualification or requirement or credential for pastors, elders, overseers is that they manage their household well. Specifically, in the household, it means that you would manage your children well. So write this down. God wants me to manage my household well. It's his will. The word manage means to rule or direct or lead. And guys, listen, you are the senior pastor of your home. You're the one who's supposed to be the spiritual leader in your home. And children and wives, you're supposed to follow the spiritual leadership of the father. Hey, if you want a Christian home, it starts with a man. God wants the man to step up and to be the leader. Household can mean more than just parenting or marriage. It could also include finances or stewardship or business. It's how you do life in your home. But specifically, it's zeroing in on your parenting this week. And we'll get to the other areas of household in the week ahead. Every parent knows that things could be going better in their home, am I right? Every parent fears that they might just be the worst parents in the world. At times, teenagers will tell you you're the worst parent in the world. (laughs) But thankfully, now that we have the internet, we can actually do a very quick search and find the worst parents in the world. (laughs) You want to see some pictures of the worst parents in the world? Here's some pictures. Uh, There's one of the worst parents in the world. That is a baby in the bucket. Here's the next picture. Worst parent in the world feeding the animals at the zoo. At the zoo. Uh, here's the next picture. Worst parent in the world setting his kid up in, in the, uh, you know, the car seat, but on the back of a four-wheeler. Yikes. How about this one? Worst parents in the world. Let's go take some nice family pictures. <laughs> what did we forget? To put the child in the wagon. <laughs> uh, you're not the worst parents in the world. But every family must battle their way to a well-managed home. No family is going to do it perfectly, and it's going to be a fight all the way. Maybe you feel like, well, it's just such a fight to get my home where... Yeah, welcome to earth. It's going to be that way. This is a sinful world. You're a sinful parent raising sinful children. It's going to be a battle. You're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to fight for it in the church. Some families are stuck and broken. And God can put that family back together. Some families are progressing and stabilized. Um, They're going in the right direction, even though they've been through a lot. And God can continue that process. Other families, by God's grace, are strong and steady and have been for years. And that's God's will for every family. That's what we're aspiring to. It's what every family can be, but it starts with the man. It starts with the man. What does it mean as a man for me to manage my household well? Well, write this down. God wants me to manage my household well first by loving my wife and children. By loving my wife and children. It says here at the tail end of verse 5, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Meaning the loving care that a father shows his children is supposed to be the loving care that leaders show for the church. And if fathers in their home can't figure out how to lovingly care for their children, leaders in the church will not figure out how to lovingly care for God's flock. That phrase, care for, 
actually comes straight out of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know that story? There was a man on the road and he got jumped and he got mugged and he got stripped naked, left with nothing, beaten bloody, and there he is dying on the side of the road. And then what happened? Person after person just walked by and didn't even help. Remember that story? But then guess what happened? I'll read it to you from Luke 10. It says, Then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set uh, him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and, listen, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The answer is the one who took care of him. And I can ask you this question. Which of these men proved to be a father to his children? The one who took care of them. Children come into this world desperate for even the most basic of affection and provision. And guess what, Dad? That's God's way of showing you you get to take care of them. Love your wife. Love your children. That's where it begins when you take care of their needs. Um, Write this down next. Manage your own household well. How? By leading my wife and children. Love them and lead them. So really the two biggest words of the morning. I need to love my children. I need to lead my children. That's what it means. What does it mean to lead my children? Well, manage means to rule or direct or lead, meaning being the spiritual leader. But how? It says here in verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity. Now, that word dignity means with gravity or respect or reverence. It can describe the way the father leads or it can describe the way the children respond to that leadership. Either way, it's accurate. The father is supposed to lead knowing the gravity, having the respect and the reverence of his children. The children are supposed to respond knowing the gravity of the father's authority responding with respect to his leadership. Both are true. The point is, God wants you to lead in your home. It says here, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Submissive means to put them under your authoritative leadership. Um, Meaning God has given you the authority. He wants you to make sure your children know that you're the boss and they have to follow your lead. Guys, we get this wrong in a few different ways, though. You see, sometimes we're too authoritative in our leadership. We force our leadership on them and we're too harsh and maybe even abusive toward our children. That's not the way God wants us to lead in our home. Yes, we are in charge, but he doesn't want us to establish that authority with, with being overbearing um, or always angry. Okay? Now, on the other hand, sometimes as parents, we're way too passive. We let our wives handle the heavy lifting. Um, we let our children get away with things they shouldn't get away with. We're too passive. We have to make sure we're not too harsh. We have to make sure we're not too passive. We have to be loving and we have to lead. Both are true. Now, when it comes to this type of leadership, it's supposed to create this relationship where faith is passed down from father to children. Expanding on this qualification in a parallel passage, Titus 1.6, the Apostle Paul goes on to say this in Titus 1.6. We'll put it on the screen. It says, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. There's supposed to be evidence that the father worked hard to pass down the faith to his children. He didn't leave his children or neglect them spiritually. He handed the faith down to them. He made disciples first in his home, 
And then he can go on to make disciples in God's church. The children are supposed to emulate the faith of the father. It's supposed to be passed down. They're supposed to be believers. We'll put that verse back up there. Also, it says they're not supposed to be open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Those are two very strong indicting words. Meaning the children could disqualify the father from being an elder or a pastor in the church. How? Well, if the father is not making disciples in his home, if he's actually driving his children toward a sinful life or neglecting the spiritual growth, and they turn out spiritually poor because of his influence, then we're supposed to say, well, whatever else he's doing right in life, because this didn't go well, maybe we should reconsider making him a leader. His credentials as leaders start in the home. Spiritual leadership starts in the home. And making disciples in your home happens first, and then you get the opportunity to make disciples in the church. Uh, What exactly does that mean? Does that mean like if his two-year-old throws a tantrum, he should no longer be our youth pastor? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, Well, first, we have to realize that these disqualifying words, debauchery and insubordination, are extremely strong words. So, for example, debauchery shows up in 1 Peter 4, 3-4. Uh, We'll put that up on the screen. It says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, listen to these words, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of, there it is, debauchery, and they malign you. Go back to that previous slide. So if if a child is displaying these terrible, awful things, if he's completely rejecting the faith, and it's the Father's fault, that might give us pause for making him an elder or pastor. What about the word insubordination? Well, looking at 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 10, so same book, a little, or, or a little earlier, 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 10, says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, the disobedient. That's kind of insubordinate right there. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Very strong words. They describe the utmost rebellion and rejection to the gospel And therefore, the child can disgrace the father in the gospel, and it could disqualify a man from serving as a pastor, elder, or overseer. Does that mean that all fathers with unbelieving or disobedient children are ruled out of the conversation? No. It seems to indicate that that these children indict the father. These children are an expression of his failure to first lead in his home. They're unrestrained by dad, undiscipled by dad, disgraceful to God, and it's the father's fault. Therefore, he would be disqualified from being a pastor, elder, overseer. Why? Because we need men who are loving their children, leading their children, so they can learn to love and lead God's church. In other words, write this down, because it'll strengthen the church. God wants me to manage my household well, because if I do, it will strengthen my church by raising up godly leaders who know how to love and care for God's flock. All right. Specifically, though, what does this actually mean if we're interviewing a guy and his children are not walking with the Lord or maybe they've wandered away or maybe an elder has a child who's going through a rough time? How do we actually apply this 
to our leaders, current leaders or prospective leaders? Well, we ask ourselves this. Is this a reflection of his parenting or a rejection of his parenting? Are these children reflecting the parenting they got? Like, this is really what he made them to be. Or, did he do his very best to raise his children Christian and they flat out rejected it? I mean, is this the rejection of every good thing that he tried to give them? We ask ourselves that. We don't immediately just say, oh, done, he's out, his kids are misbehaving. In addition, if a child is going through a rough patch, we would ask ourselves, well, I mean, is he really provoking them? Is this his fault? Or are they really responsible for responding better to his leadership? Also, we'll ask ourselves this. Was the man saved or unsaved while he was raising his children? Um, I mean, everyone in Christ, when he gets saved, is a new creation, right? A new creation. Meaning, if the man was unsaved throughout the years when he was parenting, but at 30, 35, 40, 45, he got saved. And, and how he would love to go back and raise his children in a Christian home, but he doesn't have that option, you know, we would just give tons of grace there, right? Because this is a new man who God is working on, and wow, yeah, sin took so many years away, but look at what God has made of him. We would factor that in. Also, we would ask ourselves things like, what's the severity of the rebellion of these children? Because it has to be really bad to completely disqualify the father. We would also ask, what's the visibility? I mean, in the, in the New Testament here, uh, the young children and even the grown children would often live under the roof of the father. Multiple families in the same household. So it's not like, it's not like the kids would usually move off to the West Coast and nobody around here today really knows what's going on in that kid's life. Back then, it was almost like they're still living right next door and everyone sees what the child is doing under the father's roof. So how visible is this child's rebellion? We'd also ask, like I said, proximity. How close is this child to our church, to our community? And then responsibility. Is it really the dad's fault? Or are the children rejecting what the father has laid before them? The point is this. It's not automatic that children who are not believers or who are not living upright Christian lives disqualify the parent. But it is one indicator of what kind of a leader the man is. And it's the primary indicator. Therefore, the church is supposed to first look in the home before we elevate people to the role of elder, deacon, pastor. What does that mean in our church? Well, hey, it's not like we found a few men who have perfect children or who have been perfect parents and we made them elders. Far from it. Our elders are sinful parents. Their children are sinful children. And that's true for me. Uh, I mean, at, at our best as parents... We will fail without Christ. Your best day as a parent, you will fail without Christ. At their best, our kids will fail without Christ. On their best day, they will fail without Christ. Therefore, we are all debtors to grace when it comes to parenting. And I could tell you stories of the children of our elders in the past, even in the recent present, of things their kids did that would raise your eyebrows. You said, that's an elder's kid? Yeah, but you know what? Even then, the father would display godliness in restoring their children to a good relationship with the Lord, and there's not an extended season of rebellion because of the father's leadership. There's not lingering damage. Even then, the father proves to be godly. So I'm glad to say that our elders, our deacons, have set such a great example for our church. But it's not supposed to stop there. 
We're supposed to serve as leaders giving hope that God could turn sinful parents like us, parenting sinful children like ours, into parents that honor and glorify him. So how do I do that? How do I become the father God wants me to be? Well, let's unpack each of these words a little bit. This is going to be like a coaching clinic for the guys here. What does it mean to love my children and lead my children? Let's take the first one. Write this down. What does love actually look like? I mean, spell it out for me. What does love actually look like? How do I know if I'm loving my children? How do I know if what I'm doing is fulfilling what God has for me? Let me give you some wise and biblical tips on being a loving father. Write this down. Work hard to provide for your family, men. Work hard to provide for your family. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Hey, do you know how important it is that you lovingly provide for your family? Uh, The Bible says that you could write a four-page paper on what makes you a Christian, but if you're not lovingly providing for your own household, we're not supposed to believe the rest of your story. It's that important and urgent that you do that. And sadly, so often men are not willing to work and provide for their families. Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about those men who can't work because of some season of disability or setback. Hey, I'm not here to jump on you. But sadly, there are many men out there who expect their wives to provide and they expect to simply live uh, in a way that is not honoring to the Lord. There was a woman who put an ad on on, uh, Craigslist (laughs) because she got frustrated. She wrote this, one husband to the highest bidder. You see, her husband had bought the video game Modern Warfare 3 and was playing it all day and all night, and she finally got fed up. She wrote this on Craigslist. He enjoys eating and playing video games all day. Easy to maintain, just feed and water every three to five hours. You must have internet and space for gaming. Got tired of waiting, so free to a good home. Take him away. She was kidding, but she wasn't. She was frustrated because the man was supposed to be working hard to provide, and he wasn't. Instead, he was playing like a child all day long. And listen, let me just say this, man. God expects you to provide for your family. Sometimes I do premarital counseling with couples who are either almost almost engaged or just engaged. And and sometimes I hear these these guys who are telling me their five-year plan, and and basically they're like, yeah, I'm just going to sit at home and play video games and chase my dreams while my new bride provides for me. It's like, no, that's not God's plan for you. God wants you to work hard, get a job, earn a living, provide for your family, and make your wife's dreams come true. How does that sound? All right? That's what God wants. And girls, be very careful dating or marrying a man who won't work hard or hold a job down. Won't do it. That is the fundamental primary thing God wants this man to do for you, to work hard, earn a living, provide for you. And the man who neglects his wife and his children, even the material needs, how do you get around the verse that says you're acting worse than an unbeliever? So men, work hard to provide for your family. Here's the next one. Help your wife and help your children. Help. The word is help your wife and help your children. Um, (laughs) This is a great question that you should ask the same question twice a day, and I'm going to save you thousands of dollars in marital counseling right now. You ready for this? This one question alone, all right? In the morning and in the evening, I want you to say this to your wife. You ready? You might want to write this down. Honey, how can I help you? That's it. Honey, in the morning, before you go to work, and then in the evening, before you go to bed. Honey, 
How can I help you? Uh, In the first service, I said that, and the women erupted in applause. (laughs) They were like, yeah! Simple, honey, how can I help you? But let me say to the women, in fairness, if you want a husband who helps you, there's only two ways where you can make that happen. Either first, you could tell him with your mouth exactly what you want him to do, or you can pay for him to take mind-reading classes. You have to do one of those two things. You either have to say it, or you have to help him read your mind. Do one of those two things and he will help you. But we need help helping you, so help us help you. Uh, guys, listen, help your wife, help your children, help your kids with the homework, help with their Awana books, help with the Sunday devotions and the dishes, help. Now listen, if you've got your feet up in the recliner watching your fifth football game of the week and your wife is cleaning maple syrup off the cat... It's time to help. It's time to help. And work hard to provide for your family and help your wife and help your children. What does it mean to love? Well, here's the next one. Strive to understand how God designed your children. Strive to understand how God designed your children. They're all different. Psalm 139, David says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. God put them together. There's no one else like your child. You've got to learn who they are. You've got to figure out who God made them to be. You can't make them into your own image. And it takes time talking with your wife. Who, who is this girl? What is she like? How do we raise her? She's different than our son. How do we? I can tell you that we, we talk about this all the time. Our oldest daughter, Ellie, is not intimidated by anything. She's, been, she's mature. She's wanted to sit at the grown-up table from the moment she could walk. Uh, she's a great friend, and she has a heart for evangelism to her friends. That makes her special. Our middle child is very different than our first child. Cassie is passionate. She's also paradoxical. She's an independent mama's girl. She's a shy performer. She's determined to make her dreams happen. She won't let go until they do happen, and I guarantee you Cassie will not leave this world the way she found it. That's how God made her, and we know that. Our son, Jared, is fun-loving and sensitive. He's got a terrible temper, and he loves attention, but it's got to be the right kind of attention. Uh, And he is going to bring a lot of joy um, into this world, a lot of fun into this world. They're all different. And if we tried to raise Ellie the way we're raising Jared, it wouldn't work. And if we tried to raise Cassie the way we're raising Ellie, it wouldn't work. So really strive to figure out who your kid is, what personality type they have, what works with them, what doesn't work with them. And it's amazing when you find out, you know what? The direct approach doesn't work with this kid. We've got to kind of go at it from a different angle. Once you figure it out and see that it works, it brings a lot more peace into the home. Your kids are trying to figure out who they are too. And the more you help them see how God put them together, the better your life will go. Okay, so work hard, help, strive to understand who God made them to be. Here's the next one. Be there for everything they value. Be there for everything they value. This is easy. Just show up and sit down. Uh, Our son Jared just started basketball. Uh, He just started basketball. And um, it's the first year he could play basketball. So they call it basketball, but it looks a lot like rugby. (laughs) They're just holding the ball and running up the court, you know. Uh, But it's cute. So they made the mistake at his game yesterday, halfway through the game, of switching sides. And so the kids didn't know which hoop they were supposed to be shooting at. 
So this kid on the other team jumped up and got the rebound and started shooting at the wrong hoop. Five shots in a row. And, and this whole crowd, his parents were like, no, no, run the other way, stop. And he just is like, oh, try again, oh, try again, oh, try again. And then they finally got down to the other end of the court. But at the end of the game, you know what happened? The coach walked up to his parents who were there, his dad and his mom, and said, hey, he had a good game. We'll do better next time. And you know what? Parents were so proud. Kid was so happy. Terrible ball player. But hey, (laughs) dad was there. Mom was there. Just show up. Just get there. Get to the choir performance. Get to the band concert. Get to the soccer game. Just get there. Get there. You don't have to stay at work as long as you think. You don't have to. You can leave. Just get there. Uh, I'd say this next. Show love in many ways. Show love in many ways. There's a great book called The Love Languages of Children. You might want to get that. Love Languages of Children. But basically says that children feel love differently. So some children, if you give them a gift, that truly makes them feel like you love them. Other kids are so spoiled that one more gift and they just want another one. That's not the way that they say, wow, my dad really loves me. I mean, um, our daughter Ellie can tell you like who gave her each gift and when they gave it to her. It means something to her, you know. Um, So gifts are one. Uh, Physical touch and affection is another. Some kids just love to be hugged and um, and that's their thing. Other kids, it's, it's words. The words you use are louder to them. They mean more to them. Uh, to other kids, it's quality time. You could give them gifts and, and you can uh, give them hugs. And you know what? It doesn't matter. They will only respond when you spend time with them. That's their thing. Other kids, um, it might be when you help them do things that you help your daughter with her homework and that's what makes her feel loved. Um, so there's, there's all different ways that you can show love towards your children, and you got to find out the one that's kind of louder to them. It just sticks with them. It really, and then just keep, do do all of them, but just find the one that really does make an impact in their heart. And then under love, the last sub point here is just have a blast as a family. As often as possible, just cut loose, get crazy, get away, bring fun home. I mean, it's sad when I hear families talking about year, two years, three years gone by, no vacation, no getaway, no time together. Listen, it can't happen. You got to at least, pl- I mean, there's free days at the museum downtown. You could get away, you know, at a holiday with a pool for a weekend and tell the kids you're in Cairo and they'd believe you. <laughs> Where are we? We're in Egypt. Whoa! It's not like you need to go to the Bahamas to make them happy, right? I mean, just plan something. Just sit down, look at the calendar together and say, we're going to do something. What are we going to do? It's going to be special, even if it's a day, even if it's a week, who knows? Let's just do it. Let's just make it happen. Have a blast as a family as often as possible. Your kids will remember it. Um, One of our worst vacations ever is when we went camping and, and didn't plan ahead. And we ended up at this campsite that looked like it was a scene from a horror movie. It's terrible. You know, now listen, we've been to Disney, we've been to the Dells, you know, but the kids remember Judy's campground. Well, that was so much fun. They had sand. I was like, there was glass in the sand, you know, like they remember it. Uh, Just do something. But that's what it means just in general to love your children. What does leadership look like? Write that down. What is leadership? That's love. What does leadership look like? How do I lead my home? Well, 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 12 says, For you know how, like a father, with his children, 
we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Dads, we're supposed to encourage and exhort and charge our children to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're supposed to get them obeying the Lord early on and to teach them and help them obey the Lord throughout life. This starts when you establish biblical boundaries. You can write that down. When you establish biblical boundaries, there's right, there's wrong, I want you to do right. You're the one fighting for the right behavior. You're not just letting your wife do it. You're the one standing up and making sure they know in advance what right and wrong is. And then during the rebellion, you're the one getting up and telling them, you know, you've got to get this right. You're going to have to fight to establish the boundaries in virtually everything. Things that you never thought you would have to force your children to do, like finish your food. I don't want to finish my food. Finish your food or you'll die. I don't care. Why am I talking you into surviving? You'll have to fight them on bath time. Get in the bath. Don't want to. I'm fine. I had a bath a thousand days ago. Get in the bathtub. You'll have to fight them on sleep. I don't want to go to bed. You're going to have to fight them on getting dressed. Listen, if Lauren and I didn't lay down the law, our kids would be stinking, starving, sleepless nudists. That's their plan for themselves. We had to fight for every single thing. Get dressed. I don't want to get dressed. Get fully dressed. No. It's a battle. It's going to be a fight. You have to establish biblical boundaries and be willing to just gruel it up. Thankfully, many of you have kids older than us. You see this more. But thankfully now, as our kids are approaching middle school, we see the fruit of all that hard work. Okay? We see what happens when we win those battles for godliness and it produces a harvest in the heart. Uh, Go for it and don't give up. Next, discipline your children without blowing your top. Discipline your children without blowing your top. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Rebellion is the natural state of the kid's heart. Discipline, painful discipline, is going to be what drives it out. Uh, you know, what, how do you discipline? There's many different ways. Maybe you spank, maybe you don't spank, we spank. You know, if you spank, make sure you're not doing it out of anger or injuring them or using some sort of a harsh tool. Make it controlled. Wait until you cool down. You know, but if you're not spanking, you've got to find ways to make it count. I mean, and you've got to get creative because they adapt. You know, you watch Star Trek, the Borg, where they, the Borg are coming onto the ship. They start shooting them, but then the Borg adapt, and then you can't shoot them anymore. Kids are like that. Like, the one punishment that worked last year, they don't even care anymore. I don't care anymore. Uh, Jared one day didn't care about getting spanked anymore, so he was like, I don't care. Unfortunately, he wasn't wearing any pants at that moment. So guess what? That didn't end well for him. <laughs> you've got you to get creative in your discipline, but you have to pick your battles, and when you see it as a hill to die on, you've got to win. You've got to make sure that they know that you're in charge and they cross the line. Get creative. We've done so many things. Um, we've, uh, we've done early bed. Well, you've got to go to bed early tonight. You put your kid in bed 10 minutes before the other kids, they scream like they're in Auschwitz. I don't want to go to bed! It's like 810. Yeah. No! Like they're melting. You, early bed. You could, do, uh, you could do no dessert. That's a good one. Other kids eating the dessert right in front of the kid who can't have dessert that night. Why don't I get any dessert? Well, you kick the dog. No dessert for you. I'm sorry. Good. You'll have dessert tomorrow. Uh, you, could, uh, you could also do 
Um, there's many, you can do extra chores. Uh, for us, we, for a while, we had trouble ending family outings well. So I, I just noticed when we would do family things, they'd have fun, but then when they'd rush to the van or on the way out, like a fight would break out. And by the time we got home, they'd be screaming and crying. And it happened more than once. So I said, guys, I really want to fix that in our family, we are not ending family events well. After such a good outing, we're screaming and fighting. Let's work on that. And by the way, the next time that you fail to end a family event well, you're going to get a punishment. Well, guess what? Next time we did a family event, it ended in kicking and screaming and crying. So, so I, had to, I was desperate. I had this plan. So I, I took Cassie and Jared, and I put them in Jared's room and shut the door, and I said, this is called happy ending. And I said, you guys have to sit in this room right now. And then I had a speaker in there, and I played this song five times. I made them listen to this song in a row, and they couldn't come out five times. Go ahead, you can play it. Do you know this song? It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. They were in the room, and the first time they listened to it, they were like, big deal. The second time, they were like, turn it off. The third time, they had pillows on their head. They're like, no, yeah, turn it off. They had comforters. They're trying to cover it up. And I was like, this is what happens when you don't end a family event well. Listen. Again and again. It's called happy ending. All right, you cut it. Hey, I don't know what you do. If you've got ideas, email them to me, but that worked. Now when we're on the way home from the family event, they start bickering. I'm like, happy ending. And they're like, shh. I'll just start humming it. <laughs> However you do it, you've got to discipline your children without blowing your top. Okay, the next one, prioritize church and small groups and discipleship. Make it a priority. Um, I'm talking to the men here. Listen, when you have younger children, exhaustion is going to set in. It's going to be hard to find child care you trust. It's going to cost you money. When you have older children in elementary school, there's going to be sports there's going to be music, there's going to be school, there's going to be all sorts of things, right? When you have teenage children, there's going to be friends, there's going to be traveling. Uh, listen, guys, I need you to say to your wives, we're going to small group every week. We're going to church every Sunday. It's a priority. We're going to make it happen. And Hey, the next time your children ask you on Sunday, are we going to church today? Tell them, never ask me that again. The answer is yes. I've seen, I've seen families that have a lot of commitments, music, school, sports, and they still make church a priority, whether they find a Sunday night service during the busy parts or they, they'll find a whatever. They, they find ways to prioritize the main thing. And I've seen other families where when it's sports, it's only sports. That comes first. Everything else comes second. They've got to learn to love the team, and it's clearly first. So guys, however old your children are, make sure that they know God comes first. Prioritize church, your own soul in small groups, and their discipleship. And that leads to the next one, which is this. Don't let family idols take God's place. Don't, don't let family idols take God's place. Meaning, any of these things, sports or music or school, grades, they can become idols that you prop up in your kids' hearts. They can take over hearts. They can replace God. They can replace God in what you're trying to make of your children. They can become your hope for a future. This is what you're trusting to give your children the life that they deserve. And if, and if it's anything other than God, you're setting up idols in your home and in their heart. How do I know if sports or music or school or anything with the kids has become an idol? 
Well, I can't tell you that, but there's a few tests you can run in your own heart. Uh, There's the watch test. Does any of these things get the first and the best of your time? Are you chronically, habitually missing church or children's ministry or whatever? And is the reason because of this, I have to do this? If, If the watch is crowned by these other outside of church activities, that's not a good sign. What about the wallet? That's another good test. The Lord wants you to give sacrificially and generously to His work. Do you? Sometimes people have said that I, you know, we don't, and you say, well, why? You know you should. Well, and if the answer is kids, 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 if, if your wallet and your watch are governed by another master, maybe your heart is too. Those are just two tests you can run on your own heart to say, have we gone too far in giving too much of our time or even our money so that we're neglecting our souls and the church and the household of God? Only you can find that out. I can't tell you that. But just know that they can become an idol. They can become a driving obsessive force in every home. They can become the things that you are trusting to give your kids a future. And if they're an idol, God's going to push them over and break them. He's going to. And don't be surprised when they fail to give you all of the things they're promising you. That's what idols do. They fail. Next, protect your children from harmful people and circumstances. You've got to step in, dads. Bad friends, bad boys, bad coaches, step in. Come to their defense. Protect them. Next, get them working for Christ. As soon as your kid's in middle school, you should say, okay, where are you serving in the church? We're going to get you working. We're going to get you serving. We're going to get you working for Christ. Set a great example by serving somewhere yourself, but where are you serving? We're not here to be served. We're here on this planet to serve a higher God. Where's it going to be? Next, and finally, prepare to release them as responsible adults. You have them for a time, temporary, fleeting. It'll be over before you know it. You're really getting them ready to follow their Heavenly Father throughout this world. Your primary role is temporary. You'll be their parent for life. But the heavy lifting of your parenting, of your forming of their hearts happens early on. The time has to come where you release them and you help them to follow the Lord by being an outside cheerleader and influencer from that day on. Hey, this is the beginning of our effort as a church to strengthen families, to coach dads and moms. In the future, we're going to do marriage conferences, kids' parenting conferences. Maybe you feel like, holy cow, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in my home. Hey, me too. We're going to get after it together. But first, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon our households. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you would talk to us about this area. You have given us these children who often bring us great joy, who often fill us with peace and hope, and yet who also fill us with so much frustration and angst and confusion. Lord, you gave them to us. We will release them back to you soon. We just pray that you would give us all wisdom and strength to know how to raise them right. We ask that you would help us to model our parenting after your love for us. We ask that you would bless us, Lord. Fill our homes with praise, stories of your righteousness, with your word, with your spirit. Strengthen fathers in this room. Give them hope that whatever has happened in their family up to this very day, from this day on, they can be the man you intended them to be, the father you designed them to be. They can see your blessing from here on. Give them hope, Lord. Give us all hope that you're not done with our family, our children, or us. We trust you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.